Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Deader Dennis Maller, interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And the artist and entertainer that we are interviewing today is comedian Paul Verzi. Paul Verzi uh, is a comedian from New York. You may have heard of him a couple years ago when uh, it was announced that Bill Burr would be pro- uh, producing his Comedy Central special. Uh, he This uh, interview was done in conjunction with Dick Boston, my editor at Dig, hit me out and said, hey, do you want to interview Paul for us this time around? And I said, yes, because uh, a couple years ago, um, Tommy O'Deeds, Boston comedian Tommy O'Deeds, uh, did an interview with Paul, and uh, so I did a follow-up. We talked about uh, him being a father, about doing comedy, as, you know, about his kids, um, the travel from Westchester, New York, to New York City every night just to do comedy, which is an hour drive. Uh, to do comedy, and we talked about a couple other things. He, he has some really good tips, um, or he says some good things, uh, some w- words of wisdom, I suppose you could say it that way, uh, for comedians who are doing stuff. Uh, I think it's a good interview. It's fun. Uh, if you're coming here from the Q&A interview in the dig, uh, this is an expanded version of it. It's uh, unedited for the most part. They trim the ends here or there. Hey, look at the professional audio radio guy that did not shut off his phone before doing his intro. And I'm not going to take that out because I don't feel like it. So, anyway, it's a good talk. Uh, Paul's a good guy. We had some fun. And I hope you enjoy the full unedited conversation with myself and comedian Paul Verzi. And we should be cooking with gas. All right, sir. Hey, how? Uh, first and foremost, I was, you know, sorry to hear about the the flat tire and the whole uh, situation there. But I was wondering, how was Father's Day for you? Father's Day was great, man. Uh, every Father's Day, my uh, my wife knows that well, all I really want to do is I want to go play golf, you know, smoke a cigar, play golf, you know, have a couple of drinks, and you know, after the golf round is over, just hang with my kids. So it's uh, Father's Day is always awesome. Oh, that's good. Do your uh, kids, yeah. are, I mean, they're about the age where they're still making gifts, right? They are. So my kids are, uh, my son is 10 and my daughter is 7. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, they're they're at like, they're at good ages, self-sufficient, you know, hilarious. It's it's, it's a lot of fun with them. Um, the reason I ask uh, mostly about the kids is because, you know, you've been doing comedy a while. Kids are still young. You started comedy before they're born. Has, from material-wise, has there been, not even just about like creating new material, talking about your kids, but has there been a significant difference in going from like being a single man doing comedy to being a married man doing comedy to being a father who's doing comedy? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And uh, the answer is, you know, there's a big misconception in comedy. A lot of comedians, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm in New York City, and a lot of comedians are on the, under the impression that like, man, I can't get married and commit, you know, I got to focus on my act or, you know, kids and, and getting a house and doing all that. That's going to hold me back. And, and, and I guess, you know, put a damper on the career where that's absolutely opposite in my case. You know, I remember talking to a lot of comedians, great comedians, and they were like, no, when my son was born and my daughter was born, I, you know, I, I kicked it into gear. I mean, I don't know if my kids being born made me go harder my wife says when my son was born, she saw a difference in me, but I think I was also getting more opportunities at the time, but I was always focused, but you get better material because it's real life. You know, as a matter of fact, I, uh, 
I had the pleasure. I opened up for my, my best friend and my mentor, Bill Burr, at Madison Square Garden, and I did a joke about playing one-on-one basketball with my son. And I only did the joke a couple of times and people were like, you got to do that joke at the garden. And I did it in front of 18,000 people and it tore the place down. Honestly, I'm not even trying to, to be, you know, arrogant. Believe me, I would be the first to try to give you a funny story and say bomb, but it did <laughs> it, 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 uh, it killed the garden and it was just, it, and it was just truth. It was just something hilarious that happened playing basketball with my son. And I remember when that moment happened, telling people the story and we were all like, yeah, man, that's for the stage. That's a bit. That's a joke. So that's what the family, you know, the family life and all that stuff. For me, it, things were better because you grew up. You know, when you're 21 years old, what are you going to talk about? Masturbation and drinking. And, and there's only so many things you could really touch on in your early, you know, in your early 20s when you start doing it. But then as you grow you get a voice and you see life and that makes the material better. At least that's my opinion. That's my experience too. Now, are you the, uh, are you basically, do you consider yourself a stay at home dad with the kids? Like, are you their primary, uh, Uh, not to say caregiver as if your wife's not involved, but I assume does your wife work and then you spend most of your day at home with the kids. Yeah. It's kind of like as, as my career has grown and I'm headlining across the country and I'm trying to develop a, a new hour to do the, the next special, it's kind of like 50, 50 where like, yes, I'll be home with them, you know, in the day. But if, if I guess basically the best answer to that is we're kind of at the point now where like, you know, my sister or some babysitters will come and help because it's a lot of, um, not just performing at night, but you know, meetings during the day or trying to plan some stuff. Plus, you know, you know how big podcasts are now. Yeah. So it's it's you know so it's it's doing a podcast, doing this podcast, going to like serious radio to to promote something. So we make it work with the babysitters and stuff like that. But I do love my few days off early in the week if I have that to be with the kids um, until my wife gets home. Um, now summertime's upon us. Uh, kids are out of school. Do you have you had in past taking your kids on tour with you, or do you have plans of doing that, or do you think they're too young at this point, but maybe someday in the future? No, another great question. And for the first time, we did something where I was performing over at the West Palm Beach Improv. And, um, you know, they put you up in a nice place that's like a resort with a pool. And, and you could kind of walk to the gig because it's there's a lot of shops and nice area. So they came with me to that. And, and I'm also doing Boston um, next week, um, which I'm excited about. And I think my family will come out on, on Saturday and stuff. So, you know, my son is 10. He's starting to really understand what I do. And if he sees me, like, you know, like on TV or, or you know, a clip of stand-up or something like that, he's, like, really, like, they're starting to understand. And he, he's a sports guy like I am. So maybe take him on the road sometime and, and go to a game during the day and then, you know, have maybe somebody watch him at the hotel, like my somebody in my family or something at night. You know, that's definitely something I want to do more of. Since you brought up uh, sports and, you, and your kid, uh, are, are, you're a sports guy. I know that. Uh, big sports fan. Uh are you, yes. have you become one of the, have you become one of those dreaded sports parents that goes a little too crazy at the games? You know what, man? It's really funny. I do a joke about this, how I'm actually not, how I'm not the father that goes nuts, but I was convinced that on my, in one of my son's basketball games that, that the game was fixed against them. And I was, and I, and I started to really go like at the refs, like not at the, but like, are you guys seeing this? Like it's always against <laughs> us. And I started to, to notice that, but 
one thing that happened really, really funny, Dennis, the other day, and it's really weird you're bringing this up because my son's baseball team was in a playoff game and my son has one of the best forms of throwing and, and pitching on the team and he's got some velocity. He's a good pitcher. So it's a playoff game and they needed him to go at least an inning or two to kind of stop the bleeding. And he goes in and I'm like behind the cage and he could see me and, and the, and the ump is there. So apparently <laughs> they have like a 70 year old ump who's like a fixture, right? <laughs> this guy's like, I mean, when this guy retires, like this guy, but, but he's one of those, like, it's going to be his way first. Like if a kid steps in the batter's box and his shirt's not tucked in, like he's like, you know, step out, tuck the shirt in. We want to see the belt. Like he's one of those, but it's almost like he does it like weird, like for him. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just about like the etiquette of the game. It's about like this old man putting his, like putting his stamp on the game and stuff. So anyway, my son strikes out the first guy. Then he walks to, uh, all close pitches. Then he strikes out the next guy. So there's two outs, two on, and he's about to get out of the inning. And he's got this, t- he's got this two-two count, and he throws one right at the kid's waist down Broadway, and and everybody's going, and I'm ready to clap and go. Oh, he struck out three, no runs, and the ump called it a ball. And even the coach on the other team was shaking his head, going, "That's not a ball." And I just <laughs> out loud, without knowing. I just go, and I was literally five feet from this ump. I just go, what? Right? And he just stopped the game, and he took two steps back, and he just looked at me and, like, tilted his head, and we had, like, this stare down. And then in that moment, I'm going, oh, I don't want to ruin my son's next pitches because this guy. So I kind of, like, looked at him, and then, you know, but I thought I was going to get thrown out of the game. I was like, you can't get thrown out of the game. You can't. You know, I'm not going to get thrown out of my son's playoff game when he's on the mound and, like, shamefully walk to the parking lot as the parents see me. You know, I couldn't do that <laughs> because everybody would have been able to see me take that walk. And then I'm just in my car in the outfield, and everybody knows I'm sitting in my car. Like, it would have just been a complete disaster. So so, so I kind of just kind of like, all right, you know what, point taken. You're an you're old-school guy. It's never going to change. And I like that. But, no, I'm, I'm never – I never – I kind of say things to my son quietly at the game. Like, come on, buddy, I'll call him over during a timeout and go, my wife is the one. My wife is no joke, Dennis. My wife walked up to my son in a timeout in a basketball game, and all the kids were tired because it was like a super early game. And my wife just goes, you need to can – I, can, I, can I curse on this or no? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, so my wife just goes, you need to cut the fucking shit or I am taking you out of here. Stop it. There's no reason for us to be here if you're going to be playing. And I was just like, <laughs> holy shit, man. My wife just went in like, listen, you're not you're, you're going to embarrass yourself and us because you're tired. I'll take you right out of this gym. And uh, yeah, so I would say my wife more, but we kind of keep it cool anyway. Because. Uh, uh, and now I I'm, I was picturing you originally as like an Earl Weaver character getting in an ump's face, kicking dirt at him and yelling <laughs> at him. Now I can totally see your wife doing it. And that's the, best, the funniest thing for me is just seeing somebody's mom come up and just like turn her hat around and start screaming in an ump's face. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she'll go, you better go talk to him because if you don't, I'm going to and I'll take him right out of here. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, all right, so your son plays sports. You're a big sports guy. Uh, in, in your special last year, uh, I remember you talking, doing a bit about uh, Star Wars, playing Star Wars lightsabers with your kids. Um, so, yes. on that note, who's been the bigger influence on the other? You on your kids on sports, or your kids for nerd stuff on you? 
Who oh, do you think's gathering more? His questions are fantastic. I would say, you know, that's such a good question. I would, you know, I know that this is not the probably the answer that that you or your listeners want to hear, but I, w- I would say that it is probably a mixture of both because my daughter has me. I'm watching Fuller House. I don't know if you watch. I'm watching Fuller House, okay, um, with my daughter to the point where when my daughter leaves. I'm like, I'm finishing this episode. Like, I got into Fuller. Fuller House was so bad. It was so bad the first couple of times that I saw it that it was like, it went from so bad to like, wow, at least they're committing to this. And then, and then I was like, and then I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of nostalgic and bringing me back to like being that kid in middle school who would watch Full House at night. And like, and then now my daughter is getting that innocence from it. And I don't know if that's why. So, like, I'll be like, yeah, let's go live. Let's watch a couple episodes of Fuller House, and I'm totally into it with her. But, you know, now my son and my daughter are out in the yard hitting golf balls, you know, going to, you know, if we're going to go to a a Yankee or Nick game, they're, like, they're totally down for it. So I think, like, I'm getting this stuff from the kids. They're getting this stuff from me. But if I had to choose one, I would say the sports on my son. My son is very, very much like, and he's like 10 and he's coming into his own and he's got a really good, strong right arm. And he's, he's kind of, you know, one of the best, uh, his college, uh, his coach played college basketball and said, your son's got the best jumper in the school, which he does for a 10 year old. So I think that my love for sports probably a little more, but I also love the, the nerdy stuff with them. Uh, and speaking of nerdy stuff, uh, cause you live in Westchester. Uh, I do. And now me as a kid growing up as a comic book fan, uh, I couldn't wait to just go to Queens, New York, and ha- ha- open a Spider-Man comic and try to find the house that most resembles Peter Parker's house. Grew up in Westchester <laughs> as a kid. Uh, that's where the Xavier School for the Gifted and Talented from the X-Men comics have. Was that ever something you were like, I'm going to find the X-Men, the Charles Xavier Mansion or anything like that as a kid with Westchester? Uh, could, could care less. Okay, fair enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was something that um, I kind of asked one time, like where it was, and somebody said, "Oh, when they shot the movie, it was there." But no, I'm not. You know what? Oddly, uh, I'm not really the hugest Marvel comic book. Like, I was kind of disappointed because I loved like one of my favorites is Superman, but the Superman movies have been pretty much a disaster. Like, there hasn't been a <sighs> Kevin Costner is the you worst know, Pa Kent ever. Oof. Yeah, it's just, it's just, that's the thing. It's like Superman could have been, I mean, he's basically an alien with a steel body from another planet. He's insanely, you know, there's so much you can do with it. There's only one thing that could hurt him and the movies have been bad. So that kind of made me go like, how are you ruining Superman? And then I did, you know, the Avengers was cool, but I'm just not like, believe it or not, like my I'm into like Harry Potter I'm into Star Wars. I mean, I'm not like crazy into it, but I will go and see a, a, a Marvel movie. It's just I'm not one of those. I gotta be there night of. Fair enough. Um, speaking of Westchester, uh, so performing in NYC. I, from by the West way, Day. I felt the disappointment in your voice. No, that's I felt fine. The disappointment in your voice when you no. said fair enough. Part of you just goes, all right. I, a part of me likes this guy less. <laughs> go ahead, no, dude. Say. It's fine. No, dude, I'm a diehard Marvel. Uh, Marvel guy, and I know that not everybody is as insanely crazy about it as I am. Like, and that's totally fine. Um, so, uh, but uh, about Westchester though, because it's about an hour outside of New York City. Um, that's right. 
when you start getting in the car, is there like a ritual just to keep you driving or even on the way home, the hour drive home late at night? Is there anything particular about that long drive that you dread or that you look forward to? You know, it's kind of like more of, um, you know, I was thinking about this last night, actually. It's almost weird. I feel like you've been, like, following me because these questions are, like, exactly what's been going on, like, right now. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, we're doing this interview. But, like, last night I drove home and it was just, you know what you know what the cool thing is? When you go to the city, you know, I drive in, like you said, it's about an hour, um, give or take five, ten minutes. But that's pretty much what it's around with no traffic. And cool things happen. You know, like, last night I was at the Comedy Cellar. And, you know, it's a comedy show. You get to see friends you haven't seen in a while. You get to, you know, it's just, oh, my God, what are you up to? And so um, uh, I saw my buddy, uh, Michael Che. He's on Saturday Night Live, and he's a great dude. He's a good friend. So me and him were talking, and then when uh, we were all on stage, uh, Donald Glover, who's also Childish Gambino, he was just mm-hmm. in the crowd hanging out, and he was laughing at the jokes. And, and then you go in there and you see all these people, and, and you know, you, you think about the new jokes you're doing. Like, oh, wow, that was kind of a cool night. And then some nights aren't that cool. Some nights are you go in, you do your set, and it's just like, oh, well, now i got an hour drive. But I use the drive to kind of reflect on the set, make sure that whatever bits I did that are new and refreshing and, and something that I think will be in the new hour and the new special. Like I kind of focus on that and then I'm just, you know, and then I just, you know, listen, I listen to my either certain music or I'll listen to a sports talk radio. And, um, like last night, the Knicks drafted a guy that I wanted them to draft. So I'm listening to that and I'm on the ride. And before you know it, I'm 20 minutes away. So. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I do comedy as myself and when I moved to Boston, I didn't have a car, and I would take the T everywhere. So it's a 45-minute to an hour T drive to and from open sure. mics and shows. And I would listen back to the tapes and write new stuff and, and you know punch it up or do whatever on the T. And then when I bought a car two years ago, my commutes to and from shows went from an hour to 10 minutes. So I found myself in the drive of 10 minutes not going over the stuff that I did that night and, and working. I was like, oh, now I have to schedule time. Whereas opposed, I had an hour right. of downtime. So I didn't know if in the car, are you able to go through like the recording of the set and think about it and come up with new things? Or is it one of the, and pull, do you have to pull over to write a note to yourself so you don't forget it? No, I, I, I'm not really good with recording myself and listening back. But what I am doing now is since I'm on tour and I'm doing the new hour, what I'll do is I will record it. And then I'll know during that set, all right, you definitely did a chunk that's new or you added a couple of lines. And then what I'll do is I'll go back and I'll listen and then I'll write it and I'll add it to the hour. Um, But I don't listen pretty much through the whole thing always, unless it's just a very unique set. Um, Because what I also want to do is, you know, it's a muscle memory that you kind of want to be able to continue to do. So, for example, I remember, I'll tell you a great, I'll tell you a good story. So I was a stand-up New York in New York City once, and uh, everything was clicking, right? Everything was clicking. Every improv thing I did, it was just like all the tools in the belt were, were working when needed perfectly. Everything just was hitting. The crowd's going nuts, and I didn't tape it. And I remember I was on the road, and I, I called up Bill Burr. You know, he's, he's my mentor. I mean, he's my best friend. He's my, he's my son's godfather and stuff, so we're very close. And, uh, you know, he'll call me about things that happened in his day, and I'll call him. And I remember I, I called him, and I'm like, dude, he's like, what's wrong? Because he could hear my voice. And I go, dude, I just did this set, 
a stand-up New York, and I had all these things just flowing and these extra improv things. And he goes, good. He goes, what are you going to do? He goes, you don't want to duplicate that, like, because then you're trying to duplicate it. You know, um, there's a famous uh, thing about, like, I think it was like the Victor Wooten Band or one of these crazy bands that had an amazing night, and then the next night they were like, yeah, let's not try to do that again. Just go out and make Tonight's Show what Tonight's Show is supposed to be. So, there, listen, so there's two things then, I guess. Yes, if you do riff a new bit, you obviously want to know what it was and write that down. But also, let the, let that night be that night because it's not always going to be the same. And I did learn that, too. So I, I record it just to see what new stuff I can take, but I kind of let, let it breathe, too. If that All makes right. any sense. No, that makes great sense. Uh, so I got three more questions for you, and then I'll let you go. Uh, the first one is sure. perfect to follow this one up, and it's one I ask a lot of comedians, uh, and it's, do you consider yourself more of a comedy writer or comedy performer? Um, I would say with my personality and my act, I started out with the performance being better than the writing just because of my personality, my storytelling, my animation. So it was always like, I would just tell you a story and you'd be in it because you'd be watching me. But I think as time has evolved, now the writing has catching up with that. And I'm trying to put both together. And I think that's when you ultimately can become a, can you, can you could try to master this thing as much as you can. I mean, you're never going to master it just because it's a very hard thing and, and it, and it could be done you know, you see the greatest of all time go, oh, well, the next hour is better. And you're like, what do you mean? It's your seventh hour. And it's like, oh, well, no, it's, it's, it, it keeps evolving. But, like, I remember I was outside. I don't know if you know Mike Becchione, very yep. funny comic. He's a great writer. And Mike is just a – he is, like, the prototypical – like, he just writes. And it's just joke, joke, set up, punch, set up, punch. And I remember he went down to see me. I was performing at the stand. And he goes, man, that story you tell, man, like, I wish I could do stuff like that. And then I said to him, yeah, but I wish I could do those quick one-liners all the time. But when you try, I think there should be a balance of both because you never want to, like, if you watch Carlin, right? Carlin was a guy that you would see a great story, but then he would do like a silly dance and say a quick one-liner. And I think in my new hour now, I definitely have quicker jokes I have some one-liners and stuff like that along with stories and more personal stuff. So I want to mix the both because I think if you're heavy just with one, I think it's, 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 it is lacking something because you want the audience to have an experience, you know, as well. Okay. Um, and recently, obviously I was going through, you know, old bits and, and your uh, Comedy Central special and everything over the past couple of days to set up uh, questions for you. And one of the things that I totally forgot that I watched until I saw it again was the, um, that sketch between you, Sean Patton, and Christian Finnegan about bombing, and it's you, you, in the sense of good will, will hunting. Yes. So what I this was an old like I'm originally from Baltimore, but I live in Boston now, and this is the thing that we used to talk about at uh, when I started comedy was if you could describe to somebody who is not a comedian what bombing feels like by using a scene from a movie. What movie scene do you think you would pick? Obviously, other than that that good will hunting moment um i would say it's probably like ben stiller in meet the parents when just everything went wrong and then it was like it starts with the little things so the little things would be like you know the little things would be 
like uh, just a joke that he did in front of everybody that fell flat or them say, oh, you're a nurse. And then he's trying to like get out of it. And then ultimately, and then the volleyball hits her in the nose. By the way, I heard that actress passed away, rest her soul. But anyway, Ooh, um, I know that. yeah, like I heard like not too long after the movie. But yeah, so then he does that. And then ultimately, he spray paints the cat. And then the whole family is there. And he's going, he passes. And then he gives up the fact where they were going on the honeymoon. And he thought it was, and then and then it all just, they were staring at him. So it's, that's what, that's what being on stage is. You're like, okay, that didn't go good, but maybe I'll get him with this. All right, well, that did. And then all of a sudden, it's just this. All right, it's not happening in this set, and it's over. And and then you just kind of accept it, and then walking away to your the way he just walked away and was like, all right, well I'm going to the airport now. This is never happening. Uh, is the same as you just get in your car. So I always think of Ben Stiller because he always played those awful. He always played just the awkward, odd man out, like nobody liking him type of thing, and and that's a lonely feeling. And I think being on stage, bombing, it's a very lonely. Um, but I'll tell you something will happen. I know I don't I don't know how much time you have, but I'll tell you this: when you're bombing, okay, when you get ex- how long have you been doing it? I've been doing comedy almost ten years. Okay, so you're right at the point. You're right at the point where you're like finding your real voice, and it's really you up there. And even if it's an exaggerated you, you know, it's it's still you more. But you're gonna find that when you're bombing it's not going to hurt as much because you could, a couple things you go, ah, you know, it fucks people. That was funny. And that's been working other places. This is you, you tight ass people. You could do that. Or if, if that's real, I'm, I'm not saying do that if it's not real, but if that's how you really feel, you know, it's a good joke and they're being tight. You could also address it. Or you're just like, you know what? I get defiant sometimes. Like I'll be like, okay, you didn't like that. Well, now you're really not going to like this. <laughs> double you know? down. Yeah. <laughs> you double down and it's almost for you. Now you're going, yeah, you know what? They didn't like it, but I really fucking twisted the knife. And, and, and those are like little things that, that like give you like, okay, that's fine. Where when you're a young comic and you're eating your balls and you just go to the car and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, what am I doing uh, with my life? And I just bombed and maybe I'm not funny. It, it hurts a lot more. But when you have the experience, you could be like, you could kind of understand why, I guess. Good. That the the uh, feeling awkward and alone up there is a good way of putting it. Uh, I used to always say it's like the scene from Snatch, where Brad Pitt's character is in the bare knuckle boxing and he gets knocked out and he falls down in the water because it's like you're just hit and all the air sucks out of you. And you're kind of panicking yeah. for a moment. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, yo, Chris Rock always said. Chris Rock always said bombing was like getting knocked out in boxing, and and you know he always compared it to boxing. Uh, and the final question I have for you is, um, so you've been coming to Boston a few times, uh, and you've been able to grow, uh, grow your career coming here. Um, so you've done a few shows and every time you come by crowds get a little bit bigger, the venues get a little bit bigger. Um, is there a sense of pride in that, of going to a city that you're not from and scaling up each time you come in and have you noticed this, you know, a repeat audience over the times that you've been here? Yeah, um, Boston is, is, I have a special place. There's a special place in my heart for Boston. Um, my brother went to Boston University, and he's five years older than me, so I used to take those road trips to visit him and, and you know, and, and, and go and drink out there and have a good time. But the the big reason, and I, I mentioned this at the TD Garden um, when I opened for Bill, and, and when I was at the TD Garden, it was one of the greatest sets you know, that I've ever had, you know, forget arena or, you know, because we did Madison Square Garden, but 
TD Garden was great, but you know, the, the Dana Farber Institute in Boston literally saved my mother's life. My mother was in like the final stage of stage four cancer. Like when she was, it was, she had stage four, but bad. And, and, and they did this test drug and, and this is like over 20 years and she's still here. So that was because of the Dana Farber Institute. But I love Boston because, uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like I just love the city. It's a, it's a feeling that I, that I get there. I think the people there, you know, I know they're nutty sports fans and all this stuff, but there's just a, there's an appreciation. I guess the best way I could sum it up is the ovation that Red Sox fans gave Derek Jeter is exactly why I love Boston. Because although it's like, yeah, you know what, fuck you, you're from New York and I'm from Boston, there's like this appreciation of something good. And, and if you do a joke that even they don't like because you're goofing on them, if it's good, they appreciate it. And I've always loved that about Boston. And there's certain cities like that, Washington, D.C. as well. But um, yeah, I love coming to Boston. And when I go to Boston and the, the numbers are more and more people come out and like, hey, I saw you here before. And, and it's true, the venues are getting bigger and and you know people out there know me and and it, it means a lot it's one of the cities that if i had to say what are my five best you know favorite places to perform there's just something about the people of boston and and the the, the comedy appreciation in that city that i i truly love and and i love doing it man i love i love coming out there excellent all right so uh housekeeping is uh, I'm going to take this, trim it down, turn it into a Q&A style article for the newspaper, which will be out uh, on Thursday. Um, I'll swing by, laugh, drop off a copy or two to you. That way, you, if you want a print copy of it to keep for yourself, send to your mother, frame, throw away, whatever you want to do with it. I just like to make sure everyone has a print copy. And I just wanted to make sure it's okay that I also, can I release uh, this phone call conversation as a unedited podcast episode for my podcast as well? 100%. All right, cool. Because usually the way I tag it is, you know, um, see the full unedited conversation at this URL. Sure. Um, so, perfect. No, no, abs absolutely. And, dude, I wasn't just saying that. Your questions were, especially this week, like everything I went through this week, your questions were spot on, which was why. I mean, I hope I, if, if I was too long-winded with some, it was just because they were perfect questions for the time. Dude, long-winded is fine. I'd rather have more to work with and trim it down than to have – you know, one, you know, one sentence answers from, from, from people. Like sometimes I can tell when some people are just doing these interviews because they are have to, and they're not engaged in it. And I'd rather have somebody be engaged, give real honest, uh, open answers that, uh, I can, you know, hopefully people get a better sense of who you are through the answers instead of just like, Oh, when did you start comedy? How are things on the road? Or, you know, the typical things that people ask <laughs> comedians in interviews that drive me up a fucking wall. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How so? How do you eat? You know, yeah. It's like I don't know. I just go to a place and I eat on the road. Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, if there's a, like Joe Kim Booster, I talked to him uh, about working out on the road because working out is very important to him. But everyone else is going to ask different road story uh, questions. But I want you know for him and it is a good example where I want something that you're going to give me a real response to. And for you, you know, I I, I followed your your comedy career and I re upped on a lot of things, so I know things. Um, and I'm surprised you sure. can't hear me talking to you on the phone, even though I'm hiding in the bushes behind you right now. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, like, last night was just a really cool night at the cellar, and it happens a lot. And, you know, you think about it on a ride home, and you're like, you know, of all the things I'm doing in my life, right? Like, I could be doing anything. Like, this is, like, the one job where, like, you just get, like, these cool things that it's, like, you know, and it's because of hard work that, that got you to be able to do that. And, and it, it's really cool. So when you asked the, the driving home question, it was – it's, like, that's – that's kind of what you reflect on. And, and, and again, like, and then you're like, Oh man, now I just could kind of chill on the road. There's really no traffic because it's late and, and you just kind of go through it. So that, that's why it was like the timing of the question was great along the umpire thing too. So, and yeah, man, if you want to come out to land Boston and, and hang out at a show, man, I come in the back and I, you know, I'd love to, to meet you. Will do. Uh, I'll drop something off uh, either Thursday or one of the nights that week. I can't remember. Uh, I, I can't remember what my schedule is next uh, week, but I'll definitely swing by and drop something off and say hi. So, all right. Sounds, sounds great, man. Thanks so much, buddy. No problem. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, see you soon, man. Bye.